Welcome back to the Stronger by Science Fireside Chat series. I am, of course, your host, Greg Knuckles, joined by my my regular uh, co-host, Eric Trexler. Um, we're, we're excited to be back for this Fireside Chat, which we're putting out for a handful of reasons. Uh, first, people have been asking for one for a while. If you've recently subscribed to the Stronger by Science podcast, you may have never encountered a Fireside Chat episode. Um, we started doing them at at the start of lockdown, just so you know there would be consistent content in the feed with with friendly voices talking about fun, lighthearted topics. Uh, haven't done one in a while. Longtime subscribers have been clamoring for one, so that's reason one. Uh, two, we've been away for like five, six weeks, so you know thought it would be good to put out an episode just to just to catch back up uh, after the break. And then three, and perhaps most importantly, we are trying out a new tech setup. We've got a a three-camera system going. There have been a lot of kind of under-the-hood changes for the setup for this podcast. Uh, And there's a decent chance that something is going to screw up. So if you watch the podcast on YouTube, this might be a more visually interesting episode than ones you've seen previously. Or it might be an audio-only episode. Both are completely within the realm of possibility. Uh, And so, basically, we wanted to put out at least one fireside chat. And if this goes poorly, maybe some more fireside chats until we can figure out the tech. Just to make sure we don't put a ton of work and effort and research into a more heavily content-based episode. Which then has to be scrapped because there were recording issues. Um... So yeah, we we figured just for trying out the new tech setup, a fireside chat made the most sense. As always, if you enjoy listening to the show uh, and you want to support it in some way, shape, or form, uh, like, rate, subscribe on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to the show on, uh, like and subscribe on YouTube, Uh, you can keep up to date with the research we talk about by subscribing to our newsletter, or check out Stronger by Science Coaching. Links to do uh, both of those things will be in the show notes. Uh, If you use supplements and you want to get them for uh, cheap just in general, and then even cheaper yet, check out BulkSupplements.com and you can get an extra 5% off with the code SBSPOD at checkout. Uh, If you'd also like to support the show while keeping up to date on the research related to strength and hypertrophy, body composition, all of the stuff that strength and physique athletes care about. You can subscribe to the Mass Research Review, or if you would uh, like an app to help you manage your nutrition, manage your diet, check out Macrofactor. Uh, It has a two-week free trial, and uh, yeah, check that out as well. That is uh, the last thing in my notes. Kick it over to Eric. Yeah, so I guess uh, first thing we should do is just kind of recap how our our summer breaks went, because um, it has been about six weeks since we've checked in with the audience. So um, I, for one, had a very nice and restful summer break. Uh, I did my first work-related travel since like COVID lockdown started, uh, which is crazy to think about. Like I, I kind of didn't re- realize how long it had been since I traveled for work. Uh, but I presented at the Stronger Together Fitness Conference, which was really fun. It was in Seattle. Uh, and Seattle, I had assumed it was going to be like really uh, 
cloudy and overcast and rainy and things like that that uh seattle in the summer apparently is just perfect absolutely beautiful there were like three clouds total during the weekend that i was there uh very sunny perfect temperature like 75 degrees uh seattle was just a really cool city and i was staying in the international district which was awesome uh so like right across from my hotel there was like a little japanese garden and the the like first floor of the hotel was like a little Japanese tea house. Um, there was a, a Vietnamese buffet down the street that I went to a couple times, or I went there once and ate a couple times worth of meals just because it's a buffet, so you have to. Um, but yeah, so so I had a really nice trip over there. Uh, did a lot of paddle boarding over the break. Um, got my car all decked out for a bunch of camping this fall. Uh, I've, I've got a plan to uh, basically sleep in the back. of It's like it's a Toyota RAV4. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just big enough for someone of my stature to sleep in the back. So I've, I've got it all like rigged up and ready to go for some camping trips. And uh, on the show, I briefly had a segment called Road to Enlightenment. I immediately backpedaled away from it because I realized that having that segment would mean I had to produce content that i was unqualified to produce i i also imagine eventually it would get awkward to just talk week to week about how much more enlightened you're becoming correct like that yeah. that that is a bizarre flex yeah it was um it just what it it was not a good idea and it was never a good idea <laughs> to be to be a segment uh but the road to enlightenment has been cranked up several notches because over the break i finally joined a sangha so in Buddhism, uh, the place where you uh, study and practice and meditate, you know, could be called a meditation center or a temple or whatever you like. But the Sangha is the group of people with which you study Buddhism and practice Buddhism and meditate together and things like that. So uh, I tried to join. I, I, I checked out a Sangha a few months ago that just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't like the particular uh, lineage of Buddhism that really resonates with me, but I finally found one in the area and I'm really stoked about it. Glad to hear it, man. Yeah. So how was your summer break? It was good. It was good. Uh, took a few little trips, uh, anniversary trip with my wife. Uh, we also took a trip to Pinehurst with her siblings just to hang out, catch up with them, uh, and took a trip to Columbus, um, maybe like three or four weeks ago. Uh, to do Dave Tate's Table Talk podcast, which was fantastic. Their facility is so sick. Uh, Dave is very cool, very nice guy. Just great experience all around. Um, and also, I have spent the summer productively with making content. So one of the things that's been kind of weighing on me for a while now is just as we've added more and more parts to the business and just more and more businesses <laughs> um, my my time to to write and make free content has been severely curtailed and so so my output has been just horrifically down the last like three or four years uh relative to previous also going to grad school during that time window also did not uh help with the amount of time i had to write uh, but I, I've gotten back in a pretty good groove over the summer, getting um, g averaging like one free, like high quality, long form uh, article coming out per month, which uh, 
I, I feel pretty good about. That's uh, approximately 5x uh, output relative to the, the previous four-year baseline. Uh, so, you know, now that the podcast is coming back and I'll be preparing for that on a weekly basis, I think that I'll still keep writing consistently. We'll see. But uh, at least the last, like, five or six weeks have, have been pretty good in the content department. Um, and I, I feel good about that. Good stuff. Um, all right. So let's answer some. We had some question threads on Facebook in the Stronger by Science community group and then also on the Stronger by Science subreddit. Um, the first one is from Anthony. And the question is, uh, you know, Anthony enjoy, has enjoyed hearing some of our stories about freak athletes. Um, and he was basically wondering if we had any additional ones. Do you have any freak athletes that you'd like to uh, to discuss? Yeah, sure. So um, in, in a previous episode, and his, his question directly referenced this, uh, one of the Stronger by Science coaches, Aaron, um, used to coach at a facility that did a lot of off-season prep for NFL players. And one of the stories he told was about uh, Maurice Jones-Drew and how he refused to do upper body training because his arms would get too big too quick and he couldn't carry a football, like cradle it well anymore. Aaron thought that that was bullshit. And so Maurice Jones-Drew said, okay, cool. Like, let's give it six weeks. And in six weeks, he put like three inches on his arms and like he was a little guy. I think he was like five, six, five, seven, relatively short arms, kind of made a show about how the football didn't cradle as well in there anymore. And Aaron said, well, I guess you're right. Your arms do get too big. Um, so for a certainly uh, less famous example, but someone who I think could have been like an NFL caliber athlete had he started sports younger uh, is my friend Easy from high school. So uh, Easy moved over to America from Nigeria, I think when he was 14 or 15. And he was just he was just rail skinny. He's like 5'11, 6 foot. Uh, and I think he was like maybe 130. So really, really skinny guy. Uh into skateboarding. Didn't ever seem particularly athletic. I leave for college. I come back for, for summer break, like two years later, and uh walk into Travis Mash's gym. I had a uh an internship set up for that summer. I walk in and I see Easy. And like I, I rode the bus with Easy. Like I knew him well. I knew what he looked like. And it took me like 15, 20 seconds to place who this guy was. Cause he'd gone from like 130 to 210 in about 18 months. And we're and we're talking all muscle. Like he was still very lean. And turns out he just didn't know that like you had to eat food. Cause his family was like quite impoverished in Nigeria. And when he moved over here, like those dietary habits kind of came along with him. So like a, a like two of his meals per day, I think he said, like he would eat lunch at school and then for breakfast, he'd have like half a ramen noodle packet. And then for dinner, he'd have the other half of a ramen noodle packet. And I don't think, I, I don't think in America, his situation was such that he had to eat like that. Th that was just like what a normal amount of food was to him. So he got into lifting and people convinced him to finally start eating more food. And like he he probably put on about 60 pounds of muscle in about yeah. a year and a half. Because like his his body was just growing into the size that it could have been all along. Uh 
And in the process, like he got his vertical up to 44, 45 inches. He ran a sub 4-4 laser timed 40. Um, he just had some of the most effortless speed and leaping ability I've ever seen. Like he he was he was putting up like NFL combine numbers. Again, with like maybe 18 months of training, uh, and not really even focused on jumping and sprinting that much. Like just getting under the bar, doing some training got him to, like, world-class speed and explosiveness. The problem was he didn't play sports growing up, and so he was, and I assume still is, just hilariously uncoordinated. Yeah. So, like, as as he started growing into that athleticism, people started looking and being like, dude, you could be a ridiculous slot receiver. Let's just, let's just figure out how to catch a football, and you're, you're going to have a good thing going. And uh, he could not figure out how to catch a football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in like, I think, I think he was like very much born into it. Like he, he's also mentioned that I think his like third or fourth cousin is OCU Manura. Like if, if you watched football back in the day, defensive end for the New York Giants. So like he's, he's got those genes in his family. Um, but yeah, crazy athlete should have started playing sports younger. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stay on the football theme. Okay. To answer this question. And that, I think there, that's, there were a lot of football related questions. There were, which is great. It's the season's August. coming up. Yeah. It's August. I think, I think people already, are excited about it. I'm ready for football big time. Um, I also think that that's kind of a, a natural thing uh, in America is like, if you know a freak athlete, you, you, almost assume like in what way would you play football mm -hmm. right you know you so you might you might uh say like oh man you'd be an incredible lineman or a slot receiver but it's, it's always uh football always seems to be the default context yeah you know unless they're like seven feet tall yeah so um staying on the football theme uh one athlete i genuinely don't know his name it, it was a, a brief encounter uh, but I was hanging out in a facility where a lot of athletes were preparing for the NFL combine. Uh, it was like kind of a structured program where pretty, pretty elite scouts um, or, or pretty elite um, prospects were, were kind of gathering there to train together under a, a really highly esteemed coach who specialized in combine prep. Uh, and, and so there are people from all over the country and I was there just kind of helping out doing some nutrition stuff and uh, I just, I, I had a brief conversation or I was one of the people present during this conversation with one of the athletes who looked like he could the next day, just go to any natural pro bodybuilding show and win, uh, without a moment of preparation for it. Mm -hmm. Like he just, he just looked like a statue. It was incredible. Uh, but he was preparing for the combine. He was a running back. And it was like three in the afternoon and we were like, hey, you know, what'd you have for breakfast? And he looked at us like, first of all, I have no idea. But second of all, that is the most irrelevant question I have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> like it was almost like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Uh, it'd be like if we walked up and said, hey, what's your favorite color? Yeah. So he was so out of tune with nutrition. He didn't even understand why a person would ask what'd you have for breakfast today? So he, yeah. he's nothing. It's, it's like asking what's your Zodiac sign. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's again, three in the afternoon, he's been exercising for the entirety of the day. And we said, what'd you have for breakfast? Nothing. What'd you have for lunch? Nothing. What have you been drinking or snacking on? 
in this marathon training session. Absolutely nothing. It's 3 p.m. He's been training for like four hours and he's had nothing but water. And we're like, what are you going to have when you get home? He's like, I have no idea. Like maybe like peanut butter and jelly. Um, And yeah, like just to see someone with that physique who most people, if they saw his physique, would say he's obviously on steroids. Like there's no question. I'm like, this guy doesn't even pay attention to a single thing he eats. Like the, the idea that he's, you know, doing some kind of intricate, you know, doping protocol is just so beyond absurd in this scenario. But Mm -hmm. just, yeah, hanging out around people preparing for the combine changes your perspective about what a freak athlete is. Uh, Just because, yeah, there are people who show up and before they start optimizing a single thing, you're just like, I I could never fathom getting there in a million years, like like that physical skill set. Uh, another story, I, I went to school, uh, there's a, a guy on my wrestling and football team named Josh Klein. Uh, and it's hard to explain, like, I, I can't give you like a bench press number or a 40 time that would really convey why he was a freak athlete, but he was our heavyweight, you know? So he would normally walk around, around 275 or 280, but he would wrestle like he weighed 130 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like he was so light on his feet and like graceful and just the way he moved didn't make sense relative to his body mass it's it's like a young shack exactly yeah it's like yeah. a young shack where you're like why are why do you have the footwork and like ball skills H- how could this happen at your size you yeah. know um but yeah so he he just was so light on his feet and had so much agility and coordination it just didn't look right uh, and then he he went into the NFL and bulked well into the 300s and did not lose a single ounce of that athleticism. So like it was just insane. It was like a 300 pound like ballerina almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was a freak athlete and he's got uh, at least one Super Bowl ring to show for it. Um, and then another guy, I'm not going to name him because it, it the the story reflects negative negatively upon him and uh, it's all secondhand information. So. I don't want to like disparage him without knowing for certain, but there there was a guy at a local school when I was in high school who um, ended up playing running back in the NFL. Uh, all the the major league baseball teams were just like beating his door down when he was in high school. They wanted him to go straight to the major league baseball draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like he could have been a pro immediately in baseball, but it was like, yeah, I'd rather be in the NFL instead. Yeah, like he was that that kind of guy. Uh, but the story goes that the strength coach had a sign on the door of the weight room because uh, scouts were coming from all over to, you know, to, to talk to him and, and, you know, see if they could watch some workouts and stuff. And the strength coach allegedly put a sign on the door that said, don't ask me about him. I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to, uh, you know, vouch for him in any way at all because he skips all his workouts and he doesn't train hard. Uh, <laughs> and it just didn't matter. Like, yeah, like to me, the the craziest thing about a freak athlete is not what people, of course, it's incredible to see what people achieve when they optimize everything and they're just like full, you know, full speed ahead, nutrition, training, et cetera, everything optimized. But something that, that really uh, just shocks me is when someone just has that kind of raw uh, set of physical abilities where it's like without even really bothering to try it's Mm -hmm. like boom immediately major league baseball 
and every major college in the country is trying to get him to come play running back. Like yeah. it's just it, we we played him in football and being on the field. So he was playing quarterback at the time, and I was playing on defense. Every moment of that game, you were just thinking, I hope he doesn't embarrass me. Like, yeah. I hope he doesn't find an opportunity to square up with me one on one because that is not going to go well for me whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so absolutely incredible athlete. Along those lines, there was kind of a, a similar question uh, related to, to NFL. So, if every NFL athlete. It, it's really cool that we're like 20 minutes into the episode and we've already lost all of our European listeners. We'll get them back. We'll get them back. <laughs> so let's do this one really quick. Really quick. If if every NFL athlete were to compete in bodybuilding, how many would you guess would have the ability to make the Olympia stage? Yeah. So um, since, since, it's a, since it's a how many question... I interpreted it quite literally. Um, so I, I think it's constrained by the size of the Olympia stage. Uh, in the most recent Olympia competition, in open bodybuilding at least, it was a max of, of 16 competitors. So whatever the number is, in my opinion, it has to be below 16. Um, and yeah, like I, I think most of the, the freakiest physical specimens in the U.S. do kind of just get filtered into the NFL. Um, you know, because of its cultural impact, so many people play football growing up, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's a lot of the world that does bodybuilding where people wouldn't be getting filtered into the NFL. And so I don't think uh, I don't think current NFL athletes would take up all 16 slots on the stage. But I think somewhere between maybe like 10 and 13, uh, with with my best guess being 12. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that people who are presently in the NFL would largely dominate the Olympia stage if we lived in a bizarro world where no one cared about football, but like non-drug-free bodybuilding was the biggest sport on the planet. Yeah. Like, like if, uh, instead of, you know, everybody talking about the game on Sunday, if, if everybody was just focused on bodybuilding, yeah. Uh, which is just a, a world that would be difficult to imagine just because bodybuilding over the years has become such a niche kind of endeavor. Yeah. There was a minute there where it was on like ESPN, mm -hmm. like uh, every year. Dude, um, there was a while there when powerlifting was on ESPN, the, yeah. the Mountaineer Cup. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, I agree. I, I think it. I would expect at least half of those mm -hmm. slots would be people who otherwise would have gone to the NFL. But like the incentives are such that if... if if you were like, well, I, I could go to the NFL or be, you know, a pro bodybuilder, you, you got to go with the NFL. I oh, mean, yeah. Uh, it just the the incentives are, are so mismatched, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I would love to see mass monster Aaron Donald. Oh, yeah. Because he or, or Miles Garrett. Oh, Miles oh, Garrett is God. crazy. Dude, yeah. he I, I think I think give him an offseason to train. He would probably place like top 10 at the olympia anyways <laughs> yeah no he, he probably would so yeah g give him like give him like five years to blast all of the peptides he can get his hands on not have to worry about drug testing yeah i mean come on come on yeah all right we've okay. got yeah you want to read this one yeah so uh uh darian uh buford galleon asks uh I, I would like to speak about your relationship with animals and pets do you have any home gym mascots for your home facility or outside of the home facility. 
My home gym has several feline motivational coaches, but they hate it when the weights drop. Uh, so uh, do we have dogs or cats? And uh, are we dog or cat people? Yeah, so uh, I don't have a home gym mascot because I don't have a home gym. Uh, I I quite like getting out of the house to train. Uh, I, I think part of that is being you know, fully work from home, even since like pre pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, to me getting out of the house and going to train was always something I look forward to. So I, I have not made any effort to put together a home gym. Uh, but, but there was a a direct question in here, dog, cats or dogs. Um, and if you'd asked me, uh, years ago, I would have very quickly said, I'm a dog person. I don't like cats, but, uh, my girlfriend came with a cat. Uh, she has Izzy the cat who is now living around the house being a good kitten. Uh, yeah, at, at first I was a bit, uh, a bit hesitant about interacting with Izzy the cat. I, I'd never spent any time around cats. And so I really had no frame of reference for like, how do you interact with a cat mm-hmm. and what are cats supposed to do? Like to me, I always viewed them as, um, as if they were supposed to be the same thing as a dog. And so within that context, a lot of times people are like, Oh, I hate cats because I was expecting a dog and this isn't a dog, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, Izzy and I have become very close. Um, every day around noon, she gets, uh, we have a routine where we cuddle at noon. And if I, if I don't come and cuddle with Izzy, the cat for five minutes, she gets all agitated. (laughs) So, I don't understand how or why that became a, a tradition, but like now around noon, she comes in and is like, hey, it's it's time. But yeah, so Izzy and I are very close buddies. And yeah, I just, I never would have expected that I would, uh, yeah, I always thought that I was very strictly a dog person who actually quite disliked cats. But after you spend a little bit of time with them, you start to realize that part of the fun with a cat is just trying to understand their extremely peculiar little personalities and quirks. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, Izzy's, she's a blast. I I love having her around the house. And I have noticed that uh, on the road to enlightenment, I've gotten a lot more into nature and a lot more in touch with animals in general. So I think that also helped me say like, it doesn't really make sense to choose cats versus dogs as a preference because like they're just different and you can enjoy hanging out with animals. So like, Man, I probably have I probably have a conversation with a frog three days a week. Hell yeah! Uh, because we have these frogs, and I have a pool in the backyard. Are you sure these aren't toads, and you're not conversing with them after licking their stomachs? No, these are frogs. Okay, and we've got a pool in the backyard, which came with the house, and I wish it didn't, because <laughs> you know, it, taking care of a pool is kind of a pain. But anyway, uh, these frogs like to hang out in the pool. Mm-hmm. But it's not good for them. Like frogs have very porous skin that takes in like stuff from the outside environment. And so like three days a week, I come to clean out the pool. There's a frog swimming around and I'm like, dude, uh, you're welcome to it. Like I'm not saying you're not welcome here, but it's not good for you to be soaking up a bunch of salt water and chlorine. Like this is not in line with your interests and goals. Yeah. Uh, So about three days a week, I have a heart to heart with the frogs, but where I live is awesome. I'm kind of out in the country now. So yeah, I, I have all these turtles and deer and frogs and, and you name it out there, which is great. Nice. But to answer the question, dogs, cats, they're both awesome. Uh, but yeah, what do you think, Greg? 
Yeah, so I, I do have a home gym mascot, uh, pet dog. His name is Oswald. He's absolutely tremendous. He's 10 years old now, but he still acts uh, the same way as, as he did when we got him when he was two. Uh, very high energy. Theoretically, a Tibetan Terrier mix. Don't know if that's the case. Tibetan Terriers are supposed to be relatively calm. Oswald is the is the furthest thing from it. Um and he he does come down in the basement to work out with Lindsay and I when we train, um, but he hates it. Like I I don't know why he does this to himself, and it's not it's not even like the weights making noise. Like even if we're just doing like a dumbbell or like kettlebell workout or something like something where not much noise is being made, he still despises it. Um, and I think it's because he thinks we're in pain and he's he's concerned for us. Uh, but yeah, he he just always comes down to the basement with us when we work out, hates every minute of it, and refuses to go anywhere else. Um, but yeah, he's he's great. Oswald is is a tremendous dog. Uh, and I would say overall, in terms of the cat person, dog person question, I am slight. So I am uh, due to physiological necessity more of a dog person. Uh, growing up, I was, I was roughly split. I would say I preferred dogs also very much liked cats. One of the best pets I ever had was this cat named Todd, who was absolutely tremendous. I have a ton of great Todd stories. Um, also one of my, one of my roommates in college had a cat named Jacopo, who was also just a tremendous cat. Uh, and, and I hope, uh, I hope he's doing well, but, uh, I became allergic to cats as an adult so I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I got kicked out of my house in college and had to spend uh, a summer living in Lindsay's basement. And her basement was where uh, one of their family's cats spent most of its time. So like I was sleeping on the couch, which is where this cat also just hung out all the time. So I basically spent an entire summer sleeping in cat dander. And that process, I believe, made me allergic to cats. And so now I'm incredibly allergic to cats so i i still like them i still appreciate them uh but until i find the time and interest to go back to an allergist and start getting allergy shots again this time for cats uh i i have to enjoy and appreciate them from a distance yeah Yeah. one thing that never ceases to amaze me with cat uh, with, with cats is just their their athleticism mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. Like the, the way that they can jump, the way that they can balance, like uh, one one of my exercise physiology professors back in the day was was a, a huge cat person and he tried to like recruit me over to that side. Mm-hmm. And at this point I was still very hesitant, but he was like, dude, you claim to like muscle. How could you like muscle and not be just absolutely captivated by cats? Yeah. Because like, yeah, they they are just explosive little killing machines. They're, they're incredible. Yeah, it, it's yeah. pretty wild. Uh, okay, moving on. Um, we've got a question. Do you know how to pronounce that name? I have no idea. Okay, uh, Pear, P-E-R. Um, but uh, the question is, what is the coolest country that you've been to, and is it cooler than America? Yeah, so it's it's hard to... I would say circumspectly answer this question because the longest I've ever been in another country is like maybe a week and a half, something yeah. like that. 
Uh, so I've only gotten relatively short term, relatively slanted views of other countries. Like when, when we travel, um, when, when possible, like if we're traveling for a, a seminar or a conference or something, um, we, we prefer staying with some of the people organizing it just so we can get a better view of what life is like in a particular place for people who actually live there from day, day to day instead of you know, staying in a hotel or resort and just just exclusively getting the tourist experience. But, you know, even even living like even staying in a place for like a week and a half, that that still just gives you a very, very small view of what life is like in a particular place. Um but with that with that caveat out of the way, um, like there there have been I, I think everywhere we've been has been very cool. Like I, I enjoy travel. Um, but just in terms of places that I would say are cooler than America, I, w I would have to say probably Iceland was the coolest, just in terms of how well the society seems to be run. So like from, from the outside looking in, like it's see one would assume that it would just absolutely suck being in Iceland, um, in part because like, they don't have that many natural resources like they they can do some renewable energy stuff with all of the all of the geothermal stuff uh and they have good fishing waters off of the coast but like that's about it like they don't have that much arable land they don't have that many like natural resources um so they they're very dependent on the outside world they have to import a lot of stuff and iceland is kind of a long way away from everywhere so uh like things just cost more because they all have to be shipped in kind of like kind of like Hawaii like people who visited Hawaii they're like oh why is everything so expensive well it's in the middle of the ocean like your stuff had to get here um so it, it seems like it should be a country with uh a lot of cards stacked against it but it seems remarkably well run so for starters uh we we spent like we we stayed in Reykjavik and then just kind of like ventured out from there but I really enjoyed uh, just being in Reykjavik. Like it's uh, a very beautiful, walkable city. Like you can you can walk across the entire city. Um, like there there are no parts of it that I can remember that aren't pretty easily accessible either on foot or by bike from anywhere else in the city, which is great. Um, so it's it's really easy to get around. And also like. Given all of those caveats I, I mentioned up top about how much the deck seems to be stacked against it, just purely from a geography and natural resource perspective, uh, the standards of living seem to be quite high and uh, like levels of, of poverty seem to be quite low, like like virtually non-existent. Um, and so given given all of the like given the hand that Iceland was dealt, their ability to play those cards and come up with at least what appeared to me to be a very uh, high standard of living and well-functioning society is is very impressive. Um, and with how many resources America has, it just makes me think, damn, damn. <laughs> I, yeah. I won't elaborate on that further, but yeah jesus fucking christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so we we went to iceland together yeah uh and just based on like pure scenery um and, and like natural beauty i thought iceland was uh really spectacular like 
I- Iceland is just a place like no other in, in terms of, yeah, I mean, just the, uh, the natural scenery is you, you kind of feel like you're on a different planet coming from uh, the southeastern United States and then going to Iceland where, you know, in the southeast U.S., um, you know, a lot of forests and stuff around here. And you go out to Iceland and it's, you know, volcanic rock and moss. And yeah, it, it's just uh, it, it was it was really, really cool to see uh, everything that Iceland has to offer in terms of just the natural world. Um, I also agree. I thought Iceland seemed from an outside perspective, uh, like it was a really, uh, well-run country with a, uh, a really thoughtfully organized society. Um, and, and that's another thing that, uh, or that's something that I also noticed and appreciated about Finland when I was there. Uh, I was only there for a few days. So like, who am I to <laughs> determine which societies are, are run best and which cultures are, you know, but like, I felt like I really fit in really well in Iceland and in, in Finland in terms of just like, I think one of the, one of the things that struck me about Finland, just to kind of like give a concrete example, I got on the train in Finland, you could hear a pin drop mm-hmm. the entire time. Like I, I picked up very quickly the idea that it was considered a bit rude to make like virtually any noise at all. Mm-hmm. And as someone who loves quiet and solitude, I was like, dude, this is the best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in Finland, people were were very uh, kind and polite that, that I interacted with, but they generally kept to themselves. And uh, it, it was just a nice, like quiet, kind kind of vibe there that I really liked. Um, and they, they freaking... Everyone I talked to there just seemed to really appreciate both. Well, I, that's probably a dumb thing. So I was there for a science conference at a university that was like very focused on exercise science. Mm-hmm. So as far as I can tell, everyone in Finland loves science, exercise, and exercise science. But I probably got an extremely biased perspective on that. So <laughs> that's why, like, as I was saying it, I was like, that's very stupid for me to conclude that yeah uh but yeah i I had a great time there nonetheless good deal man uh so next question is from daniel getta uh if you had to give up gluten or dairy for the rest of your life which would you pick i'll go first i would definitely give up gluten of those two not that i have any problem with gluten i certainly don't it's uh you you read wheat belly over the summer break and you're terrified did not um, but no, it, I, I definitely enjoy working with gluten and cooking with it. Like it's, uh, uh, culinarily type or culinarily quite interesting, but I don't know. Like I, I just don't, I don't like bread that much, I guess. Uh, I like tortillas, but I don't know. Like most, most products with gluten are, are either like take it or leave it things for me or things that I like but if i if someone told me like you can never have a tortilla again i'd say oh well that sucks but like i'll i'll live my life um but i so like my my staple starch is rice like i'd say for for the last like five years probably 80 percent of the carbohydrate i've consumed has come from rice so like yeah like gluten wheat like i i i could do without it i would not want to do without dairy products because while 
and especially like with the current markets like uh there are a lot of solid gluten-free options on the market i myself don't buy them for my own purposes but uh there's someone in the family with celiac disease when i cook for them um you know a decade ago like gluten-free noodles absolutely sucked now they're they're okay uh gluten-free bread still has a ways to go but it's it's much better than it used to be so like yeah i, I could give up gluten but like vegetarian and vegan cheese alternatives aren't aren't good um and like like plant milks like oat milk soy milk whatever um some of those have gotten quite good just as standalone products, but I don't think they're really true dairy substitutes. Uh, and also just a lot of the a lot of the desserts that I particularly like are dairy based desserts. So I like cheesecake and ice cream are are one and two for me. Um, and like, yeah, you you can make non-dairy versions of them, but they they just don't scratch the same itch. So, yeah, if, if someone said you can never have sandwich bread again, I'd say, eh, that sucks. If someone said you can never have ice cream again, like dairy ice cream, I think for like a week, I'd say, yeah, that's fine. But then at some point, I'm going to get that itch and I'm going to want fucking ice cream. And if I couldn't have dairy, I would be gutted. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to give up either of them. But of the two, I, I'd have an easier time with gluten. Yeah, this is going to be a, a rare instance of disagreement here. Um so I not only would give up dairy, but I'm actually uh, kind of in the final process of giving up dairy. Uh, like uh, many, many months ago, I started eating a vegetarian diet. And then I looked at my like day-to-day -day diet and I was like, would I miss the dairy in this at all? Mm -hmm. And I ultimately reached the conclusion, not really. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, like I still have some remaining like protein bars and whey products that are sitting around. Um, but once I kind of tear through all the stuff I already have, I'm pretty much going to be on a dairy free diet anyway. Um, not, not, I always have to give this caveat. It has nothing to do with health or performance or anything like that. Um, you know, sometimes people will do all sorts of scaremongering about, you know, dairy does all these terrible things. That's not the case. Nutritionally, I think dairy has a lot to offer. Um, but, but for me, it's just kind of a continuation of, um, you know, transitioning to a vegetarian diet purely for reasons related to just uh, animal welfare stuff and things like that. So, uh, yeah, dairies for me, it's such a minimal part of my diet already that I just looked at. It. I was like, I don't think I'm going to miss that at all. Um, but I am going to uh, consume dairy on occasion, most likely. So, like, if someone's preparing a meal for me, like I'm very strictly vegetarian, but if there's dairy in that meal, I don't care. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to still consume it. If, if I'm with friends and we're like, Hey, we're going to go out to a restaurant. I'll say, Hey, you know, as long as there's vegetarian options, I'll be good with it. I'm not going to worry about eating dairy in that situation. But in my kind of like base day to day diet that I consume regularly at this point, dairy is like the, the amount that was in my diet was pretty negligible. And I was like, I, could easily swap that out and not miss it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, dairy's on the way out for me. Gluten. It's one of those things like I could live without gluten and I could live without dairy, but I cannot live without gluten and dairy. Yeah. Like to me, that's where the question starts to get extremely like, I don't know where I'd go from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, like vegetarian without dairy and gluten, uh, that'd be tough. A lot, lot of tofu and rice. 
It would be a lot of tofu and rice and some beans. Yeah. And that'd be about it. Uh, all right, let's move on to some of the Reddit questions and let's try to get through these relatively efficiently cool. in an expeditious manner. Uh, so starting out, I just scrolled all over the place. Where are we here? I'll, 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 read, I'll read this one in. So uh, the most upvoted one, I believe, was by Logan Fitness asking, what is the most luxurious thing you own that you don't ever want to live without? For example... Uh, these are somewhat weird examples. A Japanese bidet toilet seat. Why has it got to be Japanese? I mean, do, do they make the best bidets? I have no idea. Not a bidet guy. Uh, a towel warmer, a $2,000 coffee machine, etc. So what are, what, are your, what are your luxury items, Eric? Well, I, I stole one from your answer because you answered it first. Um, but like as anyone watching this, if it becomes a... <laughs> a visual piece of content as anyone can see we both have very nice computers um and so and i was pestering you to get a nice computer for like two years correct that is correct uh but i'm stubborn and i'm old and i don't like new things that's fair so uh but you know we work on our computers we make content of all sorts you know visual audio etc so having a good computer is kind of a a it, it's still a luxury, but it's a somewhat necessary luxury with the things we do. Uh, but aside from that, for me, it would be my car. So I tend to be very frugal um, and I, I don't get a lot of joy from material possessions. Uh, so like my normal default setting would be like if I was going to get a car, I'd go to a used car lot and get just the biggest piece of crap on the lot and say, yes, that matches my consuming habits very well. Mm-hmm. But I did have to get a new car uh, a few years ago at, at this point. And I started thinking about it and I realized like, I, I mean, I still bought a used car, um, but I was like, you know, I'm at that time I was in my late 20s, generally in good health, uh, living in rural America, which means I drive a lot. And I was like, probably the biggest like realistic immediate threat to my health and safety would be an auto accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it at that point I was like of yeah, all I mean, the for, things for young reasonably healthy people like accidents, primarily car accidents, drug overdoses and suicides. Like th- those are the three things that are going to take you out. Right. And so I I don't mean to make it too morbid a conversation, but I was like my natural tendency was to be ultra frugal with my car purchase and I was like Dude, I drive a lot in like very icy mountain roads. Like Mm -hmm. I drive in the mountains in the winter every single year. And I've had some really dicey situations driving a 2004 Toyota Camry with totally bald tires and like halfway functioning brakes Mm -hmm. through an icy mountain road. And I'm like, I shouldn't have been doing that. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So for me, I think it makes sense to spend a little bit of extra cash on a car mostly because the really cheap cars that were made 10 or 15 years ago, the safety features that have come out in the years since are actually very impressive. Like the first time I drove my new car, which is a 2017, uh, which I got in 2020. Uh, so it was three years old at the time, but I felt like I was driving like a spaceship. I was like, dude, look, when I slam on the brakes, all these things light up and I hear sensors and stuff. And it, and it actually stops. And it quickly. stops. Yeah. yeah, dude, my, my parent, it got to the point, like just to, to reinforce how bad it got. Uh, it got to the point, my parents wouldn't get in my car. 
Like <laughs> they, they visited and I offered to drive and I noticed that they kept very forcefully saying, no, no, we'll drive. Yeah. And eventually it came out. They weren't just like being polite. It was like, yeah, we're not, we're not, <laughs> we don't feel comfortable in your car. <laughs> so yeah, my, my car is definitely my luxury, my luxury item. What about you? Well, and like to be clear, not really even a luxury item. It's like a, it, it's a 2017 RAV4. Yeah. Yeah, like th there was there was another question that I think maybe we're not going to answer about like what what's your dream car? Like it's, you know, it it's not even like a super expensive car. No, it's no, just it's, like a a modern car. Yeah, it it is a car with uh modern safety upgrades. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah, so I I, I bought a, a 3-year-old Toyota RAV4 and yeah, jumping ahead, it's my dream car. I, I'm going to stick with RAV4s for as long as they keep making them. Nice. Uh, but but yeah, I, I finally, that was like the first thing that I actually spent a substantial amount of money on myself and was like, I think that was worth it. Yeah. 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 So so my, my answer, as Eric already alluded to, was also my computer. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for working online, uh, the worse your computer is, the more headaches you have to deal with on a daily basis. So I, I view it almost as like, yeah, it's, it's not a necessity, but it's the closest thing to being one. Um, and then honestly, I, I had a hard time coming up with other things. Uh, cause I am also, I, I wouldn't even say I'm that frugal. I just have cheap tastes like, uh, like when when people have previously gotten me like a nicer article of clothing or something like that, I don't like it. I wear cheap clothes from Walmart because they feel better. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm I'm a cheap person overall. So I I had a hard time coming up with a, a luxurious thing that I didn't want to go without. Uh, and when I was initially typing on the outline, I couldn't come up with anything. But last night one of the experiences of my nighttime routine did remind me of something that I wouldn't want to live without. And that's really nice towels. Mm. So I'm a relatively large person and I'm a very hairy person. And so when I get done showering, there is, I think approximately a gallon and a half of water clinging to my body. And like I, I had used very cheap towels my entire life. And like, I always got, I mean, not dry, but dry enough. So I was like, what's, you know, this is fine. Like, dry, dry is a very temporary state when you live in North Carolina in August. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, do I really need to get all of the water off of me? I'm going to get a glisten going soon anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so so uh, my wife got some, they're not, they're not even called towels. What are they called? I think they're called bath sheets. But Whoa. they're they're essentially extra large, very fluffy, hyper absorbent towels, and they're so nice. Um, and so, like, yeah, I I can still like make do with cheap towels. Obviously, like, I'm I'm totally fine with it. But I I really do like having the nice towels. It's a it's a nice little upgrade for my life. Yeah. All right. Here's one that that I know we agree on. Yeah. A question from Mitch. Who would win in a fight, a Greg-sized Eric or an Eric-sized Greg? Yeah, so it would definitely be a Greg-sized Eric. I think under under normal rules, though I do have a twist to that that I will reveal after you give your answer wow. and reasoning. Um, 
but yeah, no. So, so you, you have a wrestling background. Like I, I did a couple wrestling camps, uh, but never wrestled competitively. Like I, I, I know some, some basics, but I'm, I'm sure it's like the stuff that everyone learns in their first two weeks of wrestling. Um, so you, you would have the technique advantage over me and like weight classes exist for a reason. Um, like what, what do you weigh these days? Uh, 170. Yeah. So, uh, a, a, a Greg sized Eric would have like a 50 pound weight advantage. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think most of the time you would, you would win that, uh, that run in. Yeah. I mean, so you are bigger and stronger. I have more technical experience. Uh, so, so it's pretty straightforward, I think for this answer, but the one thing that a lot of people forget about though, wrestling is a lot of wrestlers think like, Oh, I wrestle and therefore I'm a good fighter. But sometimes people punch you in fights Mm -hmm. and wrestling is an interesting set of skills because you get used to a semi like combat type activity with a very controlled, uh, there, there is no threat of getting punched or kicked in the head. Mm -hmm. And so that shapes the type of things you do as a wrestler, right? You, you would not go into a UFC cage and do like a normal, uh, wrestling takedown because you would get kneed in the face and you would be unconscious immediately. Right. Yeah. So, uh, wrestling got me most of the way there, but I had a very, very brief stint as a bouncer in college. Uh, and during that brief stint, I caught more than a couple random like punches. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause like, yeah, if you say like, Hey, uh, I'm going to need you to leave. Then all of a sudden people start punching you. Like yeah. <laughs> that's how security at, at a bar works. So, um, I think my wrestling experience combined with figuring out how to not get punched in the face quite as frequently. I think that's a, a really nice combination of skill sets to marry up. Nice. So the, the wrinkle I want to throw in is one, I think in a kind of traditional fight, I don't think an Eric-sized Greg could win the fight, but I, I do think as long as our, our general physical attributes other than size scaled, I do, I do think there's a chance that I could, I could fight it to a draw. And the reason I say that is I, I have very good grip strength. And if I can, like, if, if I can get like a hold locked in, uh, you're, you're, you're not getting out. Yeah. And so like, I, I don't think I'd be able to like take a Greg sized Eric down, like get top position and just like ground and pound or like get in a rear naked choke or something like that. But I, I think if I could just get close enough to get my arms wrapped around you, like it it would basically just be a war of attrition. Like, look, yeah. you're you're never going to create enough space to do any damage. I'm just going to hold on until you give up. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's a possibility. Also, this question didn't specify the rules of of the fight. Like, it didn't say who would win in an octagon. And I'm very confident that I have more firearms experience than you. So if this is like a a deadliest game type situation. Yeah, I don't like my chances. I, I mean, an Eric size Greg would also just be a smaller target. So if anything, that would be an advantage. Yeah. Uh, but I, I hope it never comes to that. Yeah. No, the, the grip strength thing is very real. Uh, every now and then, um, in my wrestling days, you know, 
the, the match would begin. You go to the center of the mat, you shake hands, they blow the whistle. There were more than a couple occasions where you shake hands with somebody and immediately go, oh, shit, shit. here yeah. we go. Yeah. And you're like, it doesn't mean it's over, but it means it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be as, as easy as I thought. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, every now and then you'll just find someone who's like, they, they're not even like physically that imposing, mm-hmm. but they shake your hand and you go, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, this is going to suck. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on here. All right. Uh, Exalt the Farmer asks, what is the be- best method for starting a campfire? Um, so this inspired me to actually Google what are the different campfire shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the appearance, the aesthetic appeal of a, a more cone-shaped fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after doing thorough research, I, I realize it's probably not the best route. It works. It, it works, but... Um, there are a lot of very nerdy articles about the scientifically optimal fire. Mm-hmm. And apparently the cone shape one is not the one ah. that's the one I always do. Cause I think it looks like your kind of typical campfire. I say, Oh, that looks lovely. I'll do that. Um, but this is a skill I'm going to be honest. I really need to get better at building campfires because like I said, uh, the RAV four is all decked out. It's ready to become a camping vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm going to be making a lot of fire. So I have a lot of room for improvement here. All right. So I, I do have a strong opinion about this. I've made a lot of campfires and also just a lot of fires in general in my day. Uh, I had a, a little, a little pyro phase in high school. Um, and ne- for, never convicted of arson. Correct. Um, and, and I didn't burn that many things of value. Like I'd, I, I think, I think it would have been a misdemeanor at worst. Anyway, um, so the the method that I tend to use that works quite well is I use the, I guess what I call the square chimney method. So obviously, like, the basics are there. You want to start small, work big. You don't start with big logs. You start with, like, tiny little sticks, leaves, get something going, work up to a little bit larger sticks, etc., etc. So in terms of, like, an organizing principle within that, what you want to do is you want to try to find some sticks that have a diameter of, I would say, between like half an inch and an inch and a half to begin with. Uh, and you just stack them up like Lincoln logs. So you're going to put two parallel to each other, maybe about six inches apart, six inches to a foot apart. And then you're going to get two more, uh, put those on top of the first two perpendicular to them. So now you're you're kind of looking down at a square and then you just repeat the process over and over and over until you've maybe got a, a chimney uh, of relatively dry sticks of a somewhat uniform diameter. Again, between like half an inch and an inch and a half that's built up like maybe a foot high, give or take. And then from there, you start the fire with the little stuff inside of that chimney. So you're going to get uh, dry leaves, very tiny little sticks get a fire going. I'm not going to do any of the hardcore stuff where you try to like start it with flint and steel. Like, you know, I'm going to get stuff that's small enough that you can ignite it with just a lighter or a match. Uh, And then just start building that little fire with the little stuff uh, in the middle of that chimney of sticks. And then gradually what that's going to do is it's going to dry out the larger sticks. And then eventually the ones on the bottom will dry out enough, get hot enough that they ignite and then at that point, it's it's fire on easy mode. Because once you have 
a pretty decent flame going with sticks that are about an inch in diameter. At that point, you can start more aggressively scaling up the size of stuff you're burning, and, and you've got a pretty good fire going. So that's that's the method I use, and it's the method I recommend. All right, good stuff. Do you mind if we skip ahead a couple to make sure that we get to the good stuff toward the end? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I was thinking that the next one that I'd like to see, we already talked a little bit about cars. Uh, fun fact is that we both drive RAV4s, though. I feel like we're missing out a pretty good sponsorship opportunity there. <laughs> I feel like Toyota should be calling any day here. And to be clear, uh, so like, as I mentioned previously, I'm just not that interested by material things you got a RAV4 and then my car broke and I was like, RAV4, that looks pretty good. Like yeah. th that was kind of the entirety of, of my decision making. So, uh, but yeah, so let's go ahead and move on to the, um, this one's a, a big question. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing with your life? Any other passions or near misses when it comes to other ways your life could have gone that you think of? Yeah, so I'll I'll start. Um I I was I was very hard-headed as a kid and I didn't really plan ahead for anything. If I could go back with a more circumspect and mature approach to life planning at 17 years old, I probably would have gone into something related to engineering. Like I I think that's m more compatible with how my brain works. Honestly, the fact that I that I'm mostly a, a writer, like that's most of what I do, that's insane. Like that, it doesn't, and, and I don't mean insane as in, wow, I did something impressive. Insane as in, that was a stupid decision. Because like that's that's one of the things that I, I struggle with the most. Like I'm, I'm not naturally good with words. And I only got decent at writing just through a, a lot of practice and a, and a very patient editor. Um... But yeah, so I I think I probably would have done something related to to engineering uh, or maybe like computer science or something that's like very like math and logic oriented. Um, and the reason I didn't, uh, completely true story, I just didn't want to have to relearn how to do calculus. So I took uh, I took Calc two sophomore year of high school, and when I was thinking about college majors, I was like, fuck, if I do something engineering related, I'm gonna have to take more math classes and like. It's been two years since I since I took calc, and I just don't I don't want to relearn like that seems hard, and so I just didn't. So I, I went into college as a history major, um, and so history was a very near miss. I switched majors to exercise science when I was already in like the senior capstone class for history. Yeah. So had I not done that, I'd I'd probably be like a history teacher, history professor maybe like museum curator type deal. Um, and then also uh, another very close near miss was uh, still going into fitness, but just taking another route through the industry, I guess. So after college, I had a, a job lined up uh, coaching for Travis Mash, like back here in North Carolina. Uh, Lindsay had an internship lined up in California, and we decided to go to California. And so you know, we, we were already married, didn't want to do a long distance marriage. So job in North Carolina wasn't going to pan out. Um, so yeah, if, if she didn't get that internship, I would have had a very different 
entry point into the fitness industry and and who knows where it would have gone from there um and then at this point i guess i also have kind of another escape hatch like if if the business caved tomorrow just completely went up in flames um i've got my masters now i i if if nothing immediately materialized i would potentially go back get my phd and probably see what sort of good paying industry job i could get with a phd in the field um i'm i'm not at all interested in in going the academic route um so that that's something i could probably do but realistically if if everything just caved in around our heads tomorrow i i would probably just try to figure out some other business i could start and do that um i don't do well with uh with hierarchical power structures um or you could just rephrase that i have issues with authority like i i don't think i would do well with a boss i've worked for people before and i know this about myself i'm a bad employee like yeah. uh i think i think i'm a decent boss but like i'm a i'm a dog shit employee um so yeah i i would probably just figure out just some some other business I could do where, where I wouldn't have to have a boss. I don't know what that would be. Maybe lawn care. I did that for a while. It was fucking fun. I loved it. Yeah. Um, or I, I mean, now that we're in Raleigh, like there's, there's a lot of, uh, wealthy families who want to get their kids into good colleges. I used to have a, a SAT prep business back in the day that did, that did quite well. Might try to get back into that. That was very fun. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't really know what route I would go, but but probably just start some other business. Yeah. How about you? Well, uh, growing up um, in my school, um, there was this kind of implied pressure where it was like if you did pretty good in like math and science stuff, you were supposed to say you wanted to be a physician. And if you were doing pretty well on basically anything else is oh you should go be a lawyer mm -hmm. you know if you're good at like writing or like anything in the like a history kind of area anything that was very reading and writing intensive um so based on that i i kind of picked up on the idea like oh i should i'm supposed to try to be a physician and then i got into college and there were two things that scared me away from that first of all the prereqs look terrible. Like I just looked at the, the lineup of coursework and I was like, I don't want to take half of those courses. Second of all, uh, I don't know how it works internationally, but in the United States, med school is hyper competitive. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I got that fight in me right now. That dog in you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't think I'm, I'm up for that. Uh, so what I decided was like, I, I looked at professions that were in that general like allied health vicinity but had uh prerequisite coursework that was more compatible with what i wanted to do mm -hmm. uh and so physical therapy looked like a really intuitive fit and that was kind of when i went to college and people said what are you going to do i'd say i'm going to be a physical therapist like that was pretty set um but then you know stuff changes things happen and you go a different route um a, a very near miss uh, as near a miss as you could get was, uh, before I decided to work, uh, at stronger by science, uh, I had a job offer to be a professor somewhere. 
to the point where it, it was like, hey, just make the phone call, say yes, sign the paper, and you're good. And uh, yeah, so that was a very, very near miss. And, and that's not to say like, oh, being a professor is a bad job and it sucks. That's not the case, but it was the wrong thing for me at the wrong stage in my life. You know, at that time, being a professor in hindsight wasn't the right move for me. Um, fortunately, I can look back and say I'm, I feel really good about the route that I took. Uh, but yeah, that was an extremely, extremely near miss because I, yeah, I mean, it was offer in hand interview process was done, all that stuff. So, um, in terms of, you know, if, if the, uh, business cave tomorrow, not really sure what I would do, but I am at a spot in life where I feel like there are a lot of different, very viable paths that would be exciting and fun and fulfilling. So, you know, I'm not sweating it too much. My, my hope is that none of those paths will ever need to be utilized. I, I mean, your girlfriend has a good job. Like you could, you could just put a ring on it go the trophy husband route. I could, That's, yeah. That wouldn't be a bad gig. I was going to say, like, when you were talking about getting a PhD and going industry, um, I would try to talk you into a different PhD, honestly. Because, uh, like, yeah, my, my girlfriend's PhD is in... Uh, if you get a PhD, I'll just make it more general. If you get a PhD in social psychology, but you have a good background with data management and statistical analysis, or if you get a PhD in quantitative psychology, you are very employable in today's world. Like it, it is really incredible. You'll see people coming out of those types of programs and they're getting job offers almost in like 10 different sectors, uh, 10 different industries uh, mm -hmm. of just there are so many uh, industry jobs where they say, we want you to generally know how humans think and behave, and we want you to be able to manage and analyze data. And if you can do those two things, you're very, very employable. So yeah, if, if you do go back for the PhD, I might try to nudge you toward that one. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, uh, so moving on. What We got a, a question from Dick from Richard. Uh, and the question is, what is a piece of modern technology or a gadget that you simply reject and you insist on doing things the way that you've always done them without this new technology or gadget? Yeah, so that that's very easy for me. Uh, and this this answer will probably make some enemies because fans of these two gadgets are are very rabid. They, they love them. Uh, but I think that they're... Com completely pointless there's no reason to have them unless you just don't have an oven or stove uh and though and if you don't you know you, you live in a studio apartment without a kitchen very valid reason to have these two pieces of equipment otherwise i don't see the point and that is an instant pot and an air fryer an instant pot is just a pressure cooker like if you have a stove you can just get a pressure cooker uh and they're a lot cheaper than an instant pot uh and then an air fryer, I I don't know what people think an air fryer is doing. I there's there there's I think people think there's almost this mystical quality about them that somehow just with air it's going to produce the same results as like deep frying food, which it simply doesn't. Like an air fryer is a convec is a convection oven, and like it can make things a little bit crispier on the outside because there's air circulating, because that's what a convection oven is. But like our oven has a convection setting. So wh why would I want an air fryer? 
Um, That's some slick marketing, though. Yeah. I mean, so so uh, I'll just throw this out, out there. We actually have both an Instant Pot and an Air Fryer. Um, they, they were both uh, Christmas presents to my wife, and she does use them from time to time. Um, and so, like, I, I'm so stubborn about using them that, like, we have both an Instant Pot and an Air Fryer in the house. I have never touched them, and I never will. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if I want to pressure cook something, I'll I'll just use a pressure cooker. And if I want to air fry something, like, we have an oven with a convection setting. What, like, why would I break out another piece of equipment that I got to get from a cabinet, plug in some random little shit that I have to clean afterwards? Like, no. No, I'm, I'm just going to use the oven. Yeah. How about you? My answer is basically just yes. Like, <laughs> so like, I, I couldn't think of a specific thing. And, I, and then I started reflecting on why that is. And it's because I've told every person in my life, there's a standing kind of order. Never get me anything, especially not like a, a, a gadget or technology. So like, there is no influx of like gifts of like, hey, here's a new gadget that I have to navigate and decide if I like it. So that wall is completely closed off. And then on the other side, I do not seek out any kind of gadgets or anything like that because they just don't interest me. So I was trying to think of where I like a single answer. And it's just, yes, I just don't seek out new technologies or gadgets. And to, to kind of uh, give a little anecdote to support this, if I have something that needs to be done and I find something that almost kind of gets the job done, I stop there. So like a new technology, once I get it to do what I want it to do, I do not explore or interrogate that any further. I do not try to optimize it. I don't tinker with it. It gets the job done. I say, fine, good. Let's not change anything. So I was in grad school introduced to the concept of an external monitor. So like a second monitor for your computer, and you can kind of drag something from your main screen onto your second screen, yeah. right? I had been using it for four years backwards. <laughs> so the monitor was set up to the right of my primary screen and to put something on it, I would drag something off the left-hand side of my screen. Mm -hmm. uh, I had been doing that for four years because it worked well enough and I assumed this was just what everybody puts up with. Yeah. And then someone was like, why don't you just change the settings and put it on the other side? Yeah. And I was like, I oh, know it's, it's actually not possible. And they're like, it's extremely possible. It's what everybody does within 10 minutes of using this. It's like a, like a super Mario bros three screen wrap level. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I'll take your word for it. But, uh, basically technology gadgets. I don't, I mean, you mentioned you were telling me for two years to get a better computer. I was doing video editing on a computer that, had no business doing anything in the realm of video editing, but I was like, whatever, it yeah. works. I like it. It's for me. Yeah, I, I, given, given the amount of time it took that computer to render a video, like if if you were working for for a minimum wage, just the time you saved from rendering videos would have paid for a new computer over the course <laughs> of a single podcast season. Yeah, J just in terms of like like dollar value of time. Yeah, but I, I did find a nice workaround where I would just do all my stuff overnight. But yeah, to have to like very strategically arrange my day and be like, okay, 
yeah, if, if I get this thing going at 9 a.m., it should be ready when I wake up. It, it, it's like a, it's like old school, like statistical computing. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned how like if you want like back in the day, if you wanted to run a multiple regression, you just turn your stuff over, run errands for about six hours, come back, see if the results were there. Yeah, that was my advice to everyone is do a bunch of uh, statistics coursework in your life. Go get all sorts of degrees and crap. And just make sure you take stats with the oldest possible stats professor because their stories are great, man. Because like, man, I, I had a professor who had retired like six years ago, but he just kept coming back to teach this course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, he, he was, you know, he was getting up there in age and he would, he resented us because he was like, you, you kids do not know how good you have it because mm-hmm. like. Right now, if you want to do a linear mix model with all the bells and whistles, uh, you just do it. You hit run. You probably did it wrong and you get 11 error messages, right? He's like, dude, if I wanted to do a regression model with three predictors, I'd have to do it and go cut my grass and go grocery shopping and put some laundry in and like come back six hours later and it'll be like, hey, you forgot a comma. Try Mm -hmm. again. Uh, But yeah, if you get a, a... a stats professor going about what it was like in the old days. They have so many, so <laughs> many grievances and so many funny stories. Um, and then there was the days where before personal computers were accessible, you had to like write all your commands on individual cards and bring them to the singular university computer mm-hmm. and just bring a stack of cards, come back in three days And then they'd be like, yeah, one of your cards had a mistake. It didn't run. And you're just like, well, all right, I'll try again next week. Um, But anyway, let's uh, we've got one additional question here. uh, And this is a good one to end with. So, Greg, uh, well, who's this question from? Uh, Penguin Riot One asks, what are your favorite podcasts other than Iron Culture and Joe Rogan, of course? Sure. So my... My top three favorites, and I think I've mentioned either one or two of these on the podcast before, uh, but but probably my favorite podcast these days is called Five to Four. Uh, if if you're searching for it on Spotify or iTunes or whatever, it's just five hyphen four. Uh, it's a U.S. Supreme Court podcast that is far more entertaining than that little... Uh, I, then that brief description would would uh, allude to um but yeah like it's it's great uh you should check it out it's it's so funny uh like one one of the hosts peter his the the connections his brain draws are are like j- just it's 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 shit that i would never come up with that's so funny yeah. in just like a very dark way um but it, peter and rianne and the other hosts they're they're also uh excellent rianne has has one of the most infectious laughs in podcasting i think um number two is probably knowledge fight i've mentioned that on the podcast before it's uh it's two comedians just just covering the goings-on in alex jones world uh and since uh since Alex's first defamation trial wrapped up recently. Uh, this is actually a podcast on the rise right now. It's been been shooting up the charts. Um, 
the the guys from that podcast have actually made some like traditional media appearances. They were on, I I believe, the last week of Brian Stelter's show on CNN. Wow, which is very funny. Like they they go on like a big like national media show, and then like the next week that show is canceled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So they're they're great. Um, very entertaining show. And then uh, number three for me is is probably a podcast called QAnon Anonymous, which is very similar to Knowledge Fight. It's just like three dudes who uh, talk about what's what's going on in like th- the conspiracy world these days. Um, it started out as more of a Knowledge Fight esque thing, like Knowledge Fight covers Alex Jones, QAnon Anonymous back in the day, mostly just followed kind of like QAnon proper. Uh, but ever since Q stopped posting uh, consistently, like he he popped back up maybe like a month or two ago, only posted a few times. Yeah, it didn't make that many waves. But now now they mostly cover just kind of like the broad conspiracy griftosphere. And it's it's also very, very entertaining. Um, and, you know, so d- get, having given those answers, I'm sure some people will be asking why not fitness podcasts? There are no fitness podcasts on your list. I'll tell you why I don't listen to fitness podcasts. Uh, f- fitness is my job. Um, and I, I do, I, I work less than I used to, but I still work entirely too much. Um, and most of the work I do is stuff that I have to like focus on pretty hard. Uh, as I mentioned, like words, words are challenging for me, so I can't, like, I know some people say, like, oh, yeah, I, I just put on, like, podcasts as, like, background noise when I work. That's crazy to me. Like, I, I can't do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm listening to podcasts when I'm trying to unplug, wind down. Um, and, like, yeah, I, I, don't want, I don't want anything going into my ears and into my brain that is going to pull my mind back to work. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's things just in kind of completely different spheres that I listen to uh, almost purely just for entertainment value. Yeah. How about you? Well, I'm the same way. I don't do, I, I try not to consume too much fitness content um, just because we make fitness content. And I, I don't want to like find myself in a situation where before I read a study, I've already heard everybody else's interpretation of the study. I want to go into it with a blank slate, you know, not have any kind of preconceived ideas of, of what's going on in the study. So I, I tried to, uh, you know, for that reason, make sure that I'm reviewing original research before I hear others talking about it. So I kind of uh, opt out of a lot of the newer uh, fitness related content. And like you said, uh, in my leisure time, because I mean, you know, we do a lot of podcasting and article writing and things like that. Uh, sometimes you just want to unwind and do something different. So, uh, before I, before I list mine, I want to acknowledge on the front end, I have a very high tolerance for hearing ideas that are based on very unreliable studies in behavioral economics and social psychology. Uh, there are many, many journals that seem to exclusively publish studies that are interesting for books and podcasts and will never, ever be replicated. They are simply not generalizably true findings. So I have a high tolerance for hearing a podcast about those ideas, 
thinking about it, digesting the ideas, but not necessarily taking it at face value. So I'm not going to like unleash this list of podcasts and say, hey, always just whatever they say, assume that it's definitely very true and will always be accurate. So uh, w- with that out of the way, uh, I really like to listen things that to things that are about uh, human behavior or psychology, sometimes a little bit of politics mi- mixed in. So I listen to uh, the Ezra Klein podcast. I listen to Hidden Brain sometimes, Freakonomics sometimes, uh, a podcast called Unexplainable, which is more more like STEM-related topics uh, based on the episodes I've listened to. And then a lot of times I'll just put on NPR, National Public Radio, in the background. Uh, sometimes that's just for the vibe. NPR, it's like... The way that they approach the audio medium is instantly calming to me. And yeah, it just kind of sets a really calm, good vibe. So like in the morning, if I'm working, I just want to hear the the very chill tones of NPR in the background as I'm like drinking coffee. Yeah, I I don't I don't drive much like I, I used to listen to NPR in the car and I, I don't drive nearly as much as I used to. But I I did particularly enjoy uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Yeah. Because Jesus Christ, that woman has no concept of social boundaries. And <laughs> I love that in an interviewer where yeah. like, you know, most, most interviewers, uh, you know, kindergarten level interviewers, if they want to ask someone like a deep, potentially embarrassing, very personal question, they'll maybe come up with a line of questioning that, that gradually leads into and builds up to that that uh kind of more intense stuff you know to kind of give the the interviewee some sort of indication of like okay like this is where things are leading this is where it's coming going to give you time to collect your thoughts get in the right headspace to answer this question terry gross uh doesn't do that like she'll she'll ask like one or two questions that are basically pleasantries and then just the very next question. Cool. Now we're going to plumb the depths of your soul yeah. for a national radio audience. And I I love that. Uh, and I also really like uh, Kai Rizdal, uh Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really even care that much about a lot of the stuff they talk about. But his his speaking cadence has such like... Um, yeah, it, it just has like a such a smooth cadence that there's almost like a lyrical quality to it. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's vaguely hypnotic. And yeah. I I enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. Um, outside of that, I do like to listen to sports radio from time to time. It's mindless. Um, it's not important despite all of the shouting that sometimes happens on it. But um I, I like to stay uh loosely connected to the sports world and just kind of follow it as something to to pass the time you know um when when football season's in full swing i i do become much more of a sports fan so so that'll be happening here i'm even um i'm i'm kind of entertaining the idea of doing some sports gambling this year without any money so i just want to i just want to pick all the games and see if i'm good at it if that makes sense. Like I'm interested in the the practice of predictive data analysis and aggregation. Yeah. Uh I I could never actually put money on it because that that for me would be a slippery slope that would end in 
just a variety of misfortunes. So yeah. definitely not going to actually gamble, but I like to just stay on top of sports. And I feel like, I feel like just from listening to sports radio, I'm like, oh, I'd be so good at betting. But I want to actually see if that's true without yeah. losing obscene amounts of money. So I, I'm still kicking around. I think there are some apps that allow you to do sports gambling with fake money. Mm-hmm. So you have no actual skin in the game. I think I want to try that just to see if uh, if I can use statistics to like actually know what I'm what to expect in a game. But we'll see. I assume that everyone who gets into gambling uh, for sports gambling is like, oh, I, I can predict this stuff very well. Mm-hmm. And just mathematically that that can't be the case. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, another thing I like to listen to a lot is uh, various Buddhism podcasts. So if you're interested, the ones I like are Buddhism Guide, Audio Dharma, and then one is called The Way Out Is In. Uh, so those I listen to when I am actually going to pay attention, mm-hmm. which is probably only a tenth of my listening habits. Yeah. Like a lot of times I'll put on something that I can drift in and out. But with those podcasts, because the the content is so nuanced it's like if you miss a word you're like well i got to back it up again you know so you got to really be uh on high alert as you're listening to those yeah um, and and those two things dovetail really well uh sports betting and buddhism like yeah. when when i think like <laughs> there you can't like up in tibet you know yeah. there's 24 hours in the day you're gonna sleep for eight of them you're not gonna meditate for 16 hours a day what are you gonna do you're gonna open up your phone get on DraftKings, and <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, that all makes sense well i mean like i said i i have a rigid <laughs> a rigid rule in place if, if i do this with no skin in the game there will never be a time where i allow myself to actually put money down because i just don't think knowing myself that's not a good thing yeah i'm never gonna do that but part of me is just because i'm passively interested in sports and actively interested in statistics i just want to see how how it would go yeah if that make I'm, I'm curious about how well you could generalize basic information about statistics and probability and just be like a passive sports fan I want to see how well you can just mix those together and be like, oh, I'm actually an excellent better. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I assume it'll go very poorly. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, to me, it, it seemed like it'd be like a little fun hobby to kind of stay on top of my statistical skill set, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, all right. So that does it for this fireside chat. Um, hopefully, um, hopefully this will be an audio and video experience. We'll see how that goes. Um, like I, like we said earlier, within the next few weeks, we'll be putting out more podcast related content. Who knows when that will happen? Um, but, but we're going to be working toward our typical weekly schedule and just working out all the technology stuff as we go. So as always, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time on the Stronger by Science podcast. Thank you for listening to the Stronger by Science podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to sign up for our free newsletter to get concise breakdowns of relevant research, as well as 28 free training programs for all skill levels and all schedules. We hate spam just as much as you do, so we'll only email you when we have something really interesting to share with you. You can sign up for the free newsletter at strongerbyscience.com newsletter, or just go to the Stronger by Science homepage and click the free programs button at the top. If you want to join in on the Stronger by Science podcast conversation, be sure to check out our Facebook group and our subreddit. The links for both are provided in the description of today's episode.
Finally, please remember that we are not medical doctors or registered dietitians. So, before you make any changes to your exercise or nutrition habits, be sure to check with a qualified healthcare professional. Once again, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode of the Stronger by Science podcast.